The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon. IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right. Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com. Now, welcome to True Ambition. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the True Ambition Podcast. My name is John Zink, and I'm honored today to be joined by someone that's known me longer than pretty much anybody else, except for maybe my parents. Um, well, for sure my mom. You know, <laughs> I, I got adopted into the Zink family, so I think it, you're probably tied with Rich Zink on how long he knew me before he passed. But anyway, we're we're joined today by Mr. Reed Law, and uh, where, where are you zooming in from? Uh, the metropolis of Mount Carroll, Illinois, out here in the middle of the Midwest. I, I know it well. Nor- Northwest Illinois, for all the folks that uh, aren't sure where Mount Carroll, Illinois is, and that's probably a lot of people. So what, what's the population of Mount Carroll these days? Uh, I think we're hovering right around 1,700. Okay. Um, so Reed is the owner of MC Motopark and on the same grounds as MC Motopark is something that's kind of a, a newer addition. It's called the Rhythm Section Amphitheater and he's also the owner of Law Excavating. Correct. So Mount Carroll, Illinois, Northwest Illinois, the corner right before you get into Iowa and Wisconsin. It's kind of uh, for people that don't know. It's it's near Galena, Illinois, Dubuque, Iowa, the Quad Cities, Rockford, Illinois. Kind of smack dab in the middle of all those. So you're married to Lisa. Yep, Lisa Law, and I got three wonderful kids. And what what are their names? Uh, Garrett, Ari, and L. And how old are they? Uh, 15, 12, and 10. So it's a busy household. Yeah. Busy. <laughs> Very busy. And are, are the kids more mature than you? Uh, most days. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, I was getting ready for this podcast, and I was thinking back to, um, I don't even know. We were trying to figure out before the podcast when Reed and I were talking We've known each other since we were like three or four years old because our parents knew each other. And uh, I remember being at your house. I remember falling asleep on the floor at your house because, you know, mom and dad were sitting around partying with your mom and dad or something. And I remember that before DVD players, you guys had this huge DVD thing, laser disc player. Laser yeah. Yeah. And I remember that being, I don't, I don't remember anything else about it except for that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. It was like watching a movie, being at a movie theater in your house. Huge technology back then. It was huge technology. It was pretty much the, it was the predecessor to CDs and DVDs and everything else. And they already had the uh, technology back then. Yeah. And we were one of the few that had the big giant satellite dishes, you know, the, the ones that could could reach out and change satellites and do all kinds of things. So it was a fun time for us. Your mom and dad had everything, man. It was I, I was my house had nothing. <laughs> Your house had everything. So the other thing I was thinking about, 
Did I shoot you with a BB gun? Um, or did you shoot me with a BB gun or so, something happened? Well, currently I still have a BB right there in my face, but that's from our friend Kurt Promachingle. But there was many of BB gun wars had out in the, uh, in the yard. And uh, I think I did shoot you. Um, there was a few rules where we weren't supposed to aim above the shoulders and things like <laughs> that. But as you can see, I still have a BB in my face from seven or eight years old. And, so somebody didn't follow the rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God it wasn't me. I would have got my ass kicked. Uh, good times, though, right there. So for, for folks that are watching this, uh, not only did we know each other before school, but then when we did go to school, we started in kindergarten. And uh, I consider it a blessing that... Uh, Reed and myself and a whole bunch of other people, about 36 of us, went to school from kindergarten to 12th grade together. And, uh, you know, it's, it, we, just, we just knew it as the way it was. You know, since I've been, you know, out of Mount Carroll, and uh, Reed, you went off to the service, right? Yep, after when I was 17. Okay. You know, the world was a very big place growing up in Mount Carroll. Um, and uh, I didn't really go too far out of the 30-mile radius of Mount Carroll, you know, until I got out of high school. <laughs> yeah, really, I mean, we, we went on a, uh, a field trip to Great America in Chicago, which was like a world away, you know. But other than that, I didn't really leave too much. But did, did you have kind of the same experience? Yeah, probably till high school when my parents started going to Florida. Then, then we started to travel. But prior to that, it was, you know, the the half half mile on, you know, Main Street, in Mount Carroll is what we all knew, right? Yeah, and the countryside. So, yeah, it was pretty cool to be able to grow up and grow along with the other thirty six, give or take, people. Couple people came and went, but uh, the rest of them, you know, were were all there right along with us. And then the classes on both sides of us too, you know, it's a really interesting thing because we're still lifelong friends with most of those people. Oh yeah, absolutely. And technology allows us all to stay together too. That's what's pretty amazing about social media and things of that nature. It just keeps us all together where we can keep keep in contact. And our class, you know, we've been doing you know, little mini uh, get togethers every year, you know, for Mayfest or whatever's, whatever's going on. So not a lot of classes have that unity. I don't think beyond high school, a few people probably stay in touch, but most of our class is still fairly tight. Well, the last reunion, I've missed the last few, um, but the last one was out at the, out at your amphitheater, right? Yeah. Yep. It was a great time. A lot of people came back and, uh, to make it more personal, I cooked for everybody. So, you know, I thought, you know, what a way to put a special touch on it. Cause is that 30? That was our 30th. I think it was 30 years and it fell, fell right into uh, COVID. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a good time and, and we have a tight group. So, um, well, we always are sending pictures to everybody and, and keeping in contact. So it was good. That's cool. So, who was your favorite teacher through all those years of uh, Mount Carroll grade and high school? 
I learned a lot from Mr. Green. Mr. Green was, uh, he was a person that left an impression with me. Um, Mr. Sparbo probably was one of my favorite teachers. I love Mr. Sparbo too. He allowed you to learn if you wanted to learn. And the way that he taught was, was smooth and simple. I, w- I wasn't a big brainiac in school, and, uh, but I learned a lot from Mr. Sparrow. So I'd have to say, yeah, he was probably my favorite teacher. He was a great teacher. It did, you remember at the front of the class, they had that different things, the map and a couple of things that pulled down, and every once in a while somebody put a, a, <laughs> a picture of some, something from Playboy or something behind that, and he'd pull on it and go up and go, oh, and then he'd pull it back down. <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of shenanigans going on uh, back then. Oh yeah, I I think did, didn't I'll, I'll blame him more on you than me. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been. Um, I I also was not a brainiac in school. Far from it. There was uh, there was one time when Mr. Gerlach was teaching some class. I have no idea what it was, but he was up in the third floor, kind of kitty corner from Mr. Davis's room. And uh, I was talking, of course, and he goes, all right, Charlie, you're out of here. So uh, I, I went out, and, uh, of course, Mr. Davis was teaching right across the way. Gerlach had closed the door, and uh, I was entertaining the kids in the other class, and I was, like, doing that Three Stooges thing where you kind of go around on your side, and Gerlach opened the door, and it went right into my head. <laughs> so then he t- sent me down to the principal's office. So insult to injury. Got hit in the head with a door and went down to uh, uh, Mr. Kilpatrick's office. It was a bad day. The uh, my my best experiences with Mr. Gerlach were I was kind of mouthy back then, and there was always the famous dowel rod that he would carry, and I, I think I had many of those broken over <laughs> head, back, butt, whatever it might be, you know, whatever he could reach. That or his keys were flying at me. So. <laughs> <laughs> it it was a different world back then. Yeah, probably wouldn't get away with it today. Yeah, and that, that's too bad, you know, because it's like uh, we uh, we deserved every bit of it. <laughs> Absolutely, and we probably didn't get enough of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually think, uh, I, were, were you in the class where uh, uh, Mr. Arbazani was in there? Do you remember what I'm talking about here? Well, there's lots of cases with Mr. Arbazani. But- well, there was... Uh, there was a class where we're sitting there and uh, he was showing a movie and I had uh, set it up with everybody in the class that we were all going to whistle at different times. And uh, it, he just, once the lights went off, I would whistle and then you would whistle on the other side of the class. It would go all over the place. And then he'd turn on the lights and go, who did that? <laughs> and that fi- he, he ended up quitting like uh, halfway through our, high school career i think because he just had enough of us assholes that was that's a good description of what we were (laughs) i can't imagine imagine being in their position with us as a group um boy it would be really hard to go to work every day (laughs) (laughs) i it would be it's uh i I looked back i was actually on my hike this morning thinking about what you you and i were going to talk about today and just looking back on that there was Really great people in there, but man, we had to be hard to handle. Absolutely. Absolutely hard to handle. And 
I would actually like to send an apology out to all those people because holy crap, we were not good. <laughs> we were the opposite of good. <laughs> yeah. You know who uh who is inspirational also, since we're talking about that, is uh Hans Zink. You know, it was really good to go every Saturday down to bowling and Ann was there, your mom, and she was fun and she brought a lot of us together down there. Um, she, she was one of the people that she's, she was inspirational in a different manner, but she put that all together. Um, from what I remember as far as youth bowling and all of us down there on Saturday mornings, that was, a uh, those are a lot of memorable times also. I think she's still involved in it. You know, she's a inspirational lady. Um, you know, thank God for her. I thank God for her every day, you know, because I, I'm in the position I'm in today solely because of her, you know, because she told right. me I could, she told me I could do whatever the hell I wanted to, you know, and, uh, I was, uh, I guess naive enough to go out and try to get it, you know, and it's just like, you know, without, without her tutelage and without her inspiration, you know, I, I don't know where I'd be today because, uh. Just like you said earlier, I was no brainiac, but uh, you know, I, I just like the name of this podcast is true ambition. I've always been ambitious, you know, and I knew I always knew Reed Law as being very ambitious. You know, I remember you guys had like a DJing. It was you and Ryan and PJ. Yep, there's three of us. Um, what was the name of that not- DJing outfit? Yeah. While we're talking, I'll. I'll- find some paper and I'll, I'll write it out, but it was kick 455, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, my handwriting's not the best here, but you'll get the, get the gist of it. So if you remember, you see that. Oh yeah. Kick 455. Kick ass. It looked like, (laughs) and that was the only way we could get it through to the high schools when we were DJing. That's so funny. And nobody picked up on it. We have our kick 455, you know, and, you know, you just had to outsmart him, I guess. Well, I was, I was into music. Uh, You were into music in a different way, doing the DJing. Um, But then another thing that brought us together and brought the whole town together was a place called Fifth Quarter. And, uh, you know, um, there were some people involved in that over the years that, uh, saved a lot of us from getting into getting into the trouble that we could have taken you know, the path that we could have taken instead of, you know, they call it fifth quarter. Cause after the fourth quarter of a football game or after the fourth quarter of a basketball game, they had this place in town that was above the city hall in Mount Carroll where all the kids could go. And Reed and I and uh, Ryan Bess and PJ and some other people we're heavily involved in that. We're in school. Uh, I remember repainting it. I remember. Uh, I remember you building a DJ booth, and we used my fat ass to test it out to make sure it would hold people. We were uh, quite the architects back then. So. <laughs> and I can remember a uh, fifth quarter was a good time. Uh, we painted walls. I- I think we had winger. We had all kinds of bands that we, we had painted their murals on, on the walls. Um, we'd buy a CD or a tape and look at what was on their cover and try to try to paint it out ourselves. Not that we were artistic by any manner, but um, we did a pretty good job on a lot of those. 
It was great. There was uh, was Marilyn the mayor at the time. Yeah. Yeah, Marilyn, Marilyn McGill. I mean, she was another inspirational person in my life um, and in a lot of people's lives because she really, really cared about that town. Oh, absolutely. 100%. And all of us kids that were in it. And um, I remember when we cleaned out Fifth Quarter, remember? I think it was probably one of the funnest days that we had in the back. Oh, yeah. We took all the old furniture from the third story and like instead of carrying it down the steps, why would you do that? Right? Let's just smash it on the back parking lot. Throw all these chairs out the back. It's much simpler. <laughs> That's um, so awesome. Now you're the owner of Law Excavating. Now is that the same business that your dad ran? Uh, yeah. So I bought my father out in 2000, and. Um, it was just at that point, just, you know, him and a dump truck and an excavator. And from there, we've, we've, uh, we've grown it to where it's at now, where we're you know, three or five times that size and uh, primarily do municipal and uh, Illinois Department of Transportation work. So that's our, our basis, I guess. And then Ginger was a beautician, right? Your mom. Yep. Um, she cut hair for 40 years, however long, but yeah, that's what she did for a living. Yeah. My mom also had a beauty ship and a beauty shop on the back of our house. Yep. And, uh, we'd have people over all the time getting haircuts and, uh, it was always an interesting place to be sitting around just to hear the conversations that were going on between the ladies and oh, yeah. uh, some of the guys they'd be cutting their hair too. You know, it's, and Another thing for Mount Carroll, too, is I just saw that uh, Donnie Slick passed away, too, which was a barber there in town. That was at one of those places where you'd be walking down through town. And for everybody listening to this, downtown Mount Carroll looks like downtown Mayberry, you know, and it'd be the same people in the windows at all these different shops. And Donnie Slick was one of those guys where you'd be walking by, give him a wave and a smile. You get it back from him and you're on with your day. You know, it was uh, it was sad to see Donnie go. Yeah, and a lot of interesting conversations we're having in that building also. Yeah. Sorry. So how are, how are your mom and dad doing? Good. Good. Um, they, they go to Florida every year and come back, you know, try to get out of this cold. Yeah. Cold of the Midwest, but they're all, they're all good right now. Now, if I remember right, you, I, you know, your brother's name's Randy. Yep. Your sister is Ronnie? Correct. Yeah. Where are they at? Uh, my brother and sister both listen here in town yet. Oh, they do. And actually, since you brought it up, my brother bought Donnie Slick's farm huh. um, before he had passed. Um, so that's where he lives at now is Donnie Slick's house. That's so. cool. So how, how much older are they than, than we are? So, yeah, my brother's 10 years older than me, and my sister's eight years older than I am. So, I mean, I'm 48. So, yeah, my brother's 58, I guess. So, here's the question Were you a mistake? Well, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure I was, too. Uh, it, I'm glad it happened. Because yeah, otherwise, we wouldn't have this conversation right now. <laughs> yeah. It'd still be swimming in. Top of scrolling. 
What is your favorite part about living in a small town? Simplicity. I mean, every day I, there's no worries, right? Like doors are unlocked. You know, everybody, something is uh, out of the ordinary. It stands out quickly. Um, it's just very simple. It's easy. And, you know, our, our claim to fame in our whole county is that we only have one stoplight, right? So there's no red lights. There's no sitting in traffic. There's, if you want to go to point A to point B, you're there. And the amount of time that you expect it should take, um, everything becomes simpler in that kind of situation. And I've lived in the opposite, you know, obviously Southern California and traveled the world when I was in the service. So you see it. Um, and probably the same thoughts that you had when you were living here as a kid. Oh, there's nothing to do. There's no place to go. There's all this. Everything else looks more glamorized, right? But in reality, ended up, you know, on my own free will, coming right back to simplicity. So everything changes as you get older, and you don't you don't really appreciate anything when you're growing up in it. You know, yeah. just like you don't you don't appreciate the smarts that your parents have. I look back on it now and go, oh, they didn't know what they're talking about. Um, but I, I, I agree with all those things. And the other thing is loyalty. You know, the, the friends around there are very loyal. The family around there is very loyal. And, uh, you know, Carissa has asked me before, it's like, what if this happens or what if that happens? Like, listen, I can move back to Mount Carroll in a heartbeat, you know, and it's just like everything's taken care of. You know, it's like, that's the one thing I was going to say about at the beginning of this, when we we're talking about growing up there and being in, you, you got to be kind of on the in crowd, which is just growing up there. You're kind of taken care of because we all look out for our own. Yeah, absolutely. And when, you know, you probably, when you come home or back to Mount Carroll, it probably seems very small right i know that's when i when i got back from the service when i came back here it's like well one end of town and the other end of town really is really small but it, once again it comes back it creates simplicity and there is a loyalty within our community here of people that know each other have grown up with each other and anybody would help anybody else out that's just the way these small communities are and all the surrounding communities. I've uh, just kind of piggybacking off of what you're talking about. I'm, I'm finishing up this book of mine right now, which is also called True Ambition. And it talks a lot about what you just talked about, which was the size of the town and the perspective that you have to figure out what the size of the town is. And uh, back, you know, just out of high school, you know, I started running to try to get into shape because I was a big fat mess and uh, I ran all over town and you know that town to me at the time seemed big you know right. running around the radius of that town out by you know what used to be Hopkins Chevrolet and uh, over by uh, Cole Howard's elevator and back down and I'd come back and you know it's a it's a radius of about three miles <laughs> you know but going back now, it seems small. And I would, I would drive around there with my now two-and-a-half-year-old son, Johnny, in the back, who I was going up to visit Carl Touts 
when I was back there the last time. By the time I got to Carl's house, Johnny was passed out, sleeping in the back. And uh, I've learned from my friends that have kids that do not ever wake up a baby. So I just drove around. And uh, I drove around every street in Mount Carroll, and it took me about 20 minutes. I'm like, well, now what do I do? <laughs> yeah, the perspective as growing up here, everything seems bigger than what it is. But yet, all of the things that you think matter, we don't have malls and you know whatever you want to go to you want to go to the mall so because that's the cool thing to do but in reality after you become uh, a little more wiser and you get some more wisdom you realize you know what this place has everything that we do need um it's just on a simpler form and it does make it easy to to live in a community like this you know we don't hardly ever lock our doors ever well now now with uh, after the pandemic and you know the lockdowns and everything that happened, everybody can work from wherever they want to. You also get everything you ever wanted delivered to you by Amazon or whoever else it is. You can live anywhere you want to, and it really opens up uh, the floodgates for people moving back to small towns or moving to small towns for the first time and getting out of the hustle and bustle of these large communities or these large right. metropolises. And uh, I've read article after article that said it's happening, you know, and people are going and taking advantage of those small towns where you can have a better way of life, no yeah. commute, you know, being with your family, all that kind of stuff. It's it's a great thing. And, uh, you know, that's what I, I talked to you before we started the podcast. We're moving to Reno, you know, and being finally right. done with California because of what I, I want to be around my son. I don't want to spend time on the highways in an hour and a half or two hours of traffic for no reason. I, I wonder what the daily average is of a metropolitan area, unless you're living in the downtown and, you know, working in the downtown. But the amount of, I, I remember in Cal, so, SoCal, so I lived in uh, Marino Valley at the Air Force Base, at March Air Force Base. And if you were going to go to the beach, it was normally an hour and a half away or something like that. But the thousands of people that are sitting in their vehicles stalled in traffic, how many hours of your life are wasted sitting in the seat of the vehicle, not going anywhere, just sitting there next to six other cars, six deep, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting. And uh, it's really not a life. Hopefully people can figure that out and, and find something better. But, I, um, I think I think they are. And uh, this pandemic has really showed people that you can work remote. And more importantly, it showed employers that people can work remote and be just as, if not more, effective and productive. You know, so and I looked up something. Uh, it's been a couple years ago, but uh, for the Bay Area, um, it was just under an hour each way is what the commute time was for. The average commute time was for people in the Bay Area. You know, so and. That, that's, that's factoring in a bunch of people who have five and 10 minute commutes. So there's a bunch of people on the other hand who have two hour commutes. So if you think about that, um, let's just say it's an hour each way a day. Um, you're talking about 10 hours of your life, which is really a full work day, um, is gone just sitting in a vehicle doing nothing. Right. Um, we don't have that out here. I mean, Carroll County or Mount Carroll, probably could tag the name social distance, right? We do it just by 
what we have. We're, <laughs> we're socially distanced just from being here. And uh, it, it worked out good. And during the pandemic, it's, it worked out well for everybody, I think, also. Um, we just don't have a population base that many of these big communities do. So, has, uh, has what, what did COVID do to your business? Did it just shut it down for a year? Yeah, so the racetrack got shut down for a year. We probably could have started racing back in September, but at that point, we'd lost. So April and March, April, and May coming out of winter are our biggest months. Um, losing those are our best months that we normally have. Um, that hurt. And then going into fall, basically, when um, things were starting to get released. But there was still this... You know, this little thing on your shoulder, this little devil of the COVID sitting there of what the unknown, right? Like, and that unknown sitting on your shoulder, like, should you open? Should you not open? Should you run races? Should you try to bring all this together and try? Or should you just, you know, let's just skip the year and we'll restart in 2021. And that's that's what we did for the, for the motocross side. So let's go back a little bit. And because this is, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that watch uh, this podcast and what we'd like to do is talk about, I think I saw on your website, you're celebrating 21 years of MC Motocross, right? Or MC Motopark? Yeah, so we bought the property in 2001. So we actually started building in two, 20 years ago. Um, first race, though, actual sanctioned racing next year will be our 20 year. Okay. Of 20, 20 years of racing. So how, how, how big is the property uh, where you have uh, the amphitheater and the motocross. So that the property sits on basically 50 acres. Um, and we have uh, massaged it and developed it pretty much to all 50 acres are being utilized at this point. Um, now during the week, it's great. It's a wildlife habitat. They get to go out there and eat green grass and hang out and jump around and do what wildlife does. But during the weekends, it's humanity gets to take over for a couple of days and then the cycle returns. So it's good in that manner. So how did, uh, how did you come up with the idea? Were you sitting around somewhere and said, you know, I'm going to go out and buy that and uh, build myself a motocross track? Um, yeah, it wasn't just one giant thought, right? It was... Um, it was a collection of thoughts over a long period of time. Um, the original thought was, Hey, I race motocross. I'm an excavator. I have all the tools and the means and the methods to make and create anything that we want. Um, so that was the original thought behind it. Um, and then from there, as we established ourselves and, and as you've known, um, kind of worldly known, I guess, when it comes to motocross tracks, there's some, you know, we've had the Kenyan motocross club. We've had uh, 20 different countries, you know, uh, on site riding and racing. And so from that standpoint, we've, we've grown to something that's bigger than what I even thought we would be. Um, and then we, we moved on to the next thing, which is the amphitheater. Everybody who does anything on a big scale has naysayers. And a lot of that stuff happens in smaller towns where everybody talks. It's not just smaller towns. Everybody talks all the time. Did you have anybody saying, you can't do that? You're crazy. 
Oh, every day. When we first started, um, there was a slew of people in trying to stop us. And there was also the people in the background, the, you know, the little chatters, you know, oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to do well. Why would somebody do that? You know, um, the thing that I would tell most people, if you're an entrepreneur and you think, first of all, make sure your idea is solid and make sure you think about it and it's not on them, but just go like this and just look forward and whatever that is and all this stuff on the sides, just blow right through it and keep moving forward. Well, you and I, you and I both had somebody um, that while we were growing up built something where everybody told him he was crazy, which was Raven's grin. And uh, uh, this guy named Jim Warfield has this year round haunted house that he built in Mount Carroll. And, uh, you know, there was chatter everywhere about Jim being nuts. That'll never work. Who would go to that? What's he building down there? And uh, I would go down to Burt's, which was a restaurant all, uh, that was open like 9 o'clock at night because Burt didn't want to be open when the health inspector was around. <laughs> so I'd go down there 10, 11 o'clock at night and sit around. And, you know, Jim would come down. I'm sure Reed was in there sometimes too. But Jim would show me while he was building this, you know, these tunnels that go through the house, these slides and all this stuff. And I got to experience it. I also got to experience people talking badly about him. And then later on, when he becomes the talk of the town, National Geographic does a story on him and the uh, haunted house. And then all of a sudden he gets embraced because he's bringing in all these people uh, to the town. And uh, it's, it's, it, was, it was funny to sit back and watch. And then to learn the lesson from it is just what you said. If you've got passion for something, if you've got a belief in yourself, put on the blinders and just go do it. And uh, that was a great lesson for me to learn from watching Jim. Oh, yeah. Jim, Jim had everyone, you know, chattering on the sidelines. It's not going to work. Can't do this. You know, but once again, Jim did what he did because he had a passion for the stuff that he liked to create. And those businesses that are created, I believe, through passion, they survive no matter what, because there's a driving force that's not about money. It's not about, you know, I, you know, whatever it may be, passion is what's driving it. So when you put the passion in behind it, how can it fail? Right. You know? Yeah. And it's a pretty uh, interesting place. I mean, uh, uh, Raven's Grin. If if anybody hasn't experienced Raven's Grin in Mount Carroll, Illinois, go check it out because it's it's worth the hour or two that you'll spend in there. And Jim is one of the most unique people you'll ever meet in your life. Yeah. So you and I played some basketball together, and it was after high school. And uh, Mount Carroll also had this group of guys that got together, and we played basketball all the freaking time. It was so awesome. Did you play basketball in high school at all? Did not. I quit uh, when I was in eighth grade. My ambitions turned towards snowboarding and, and skiing, which conflicted with basketball season. Okay. Yeah, because I, I remember you when you got into basketball, very passionate about basketball. Do you still play today? I still do, yep. Yeah. I usually try to play five days a week if I can. That's awesome. And you, didn't you build a basketball hoop, a basketball court out there at the property? Yep. Full court basketball court with 
you know, class backboards and lights to light up. Um, I coached fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, and so it's another one of my passions. So I, all the passions that I have, I don't have a lot of read free time. <laughs> I was just thinking when I was putting this all together, I'm like, I don't remember Reed playing basketball at all in high school. Either did I. You know, I, I, I discovered basketball afterwards. And, uh, you know, until just a few years ago when my right knee was saying, hey, big boy, you're done with basketball. Um, that, that's when I kind of gave it up. But before that, I just did. It was probably about 20 years of playing basketball. I just freaking loved it. Yeah, it's um, the one thing about basketball that I that I think that most people may not get is that it's social, right? It's not only about the competition on the floor or the court, but it's still a social atmosphere. It's about those people that you interact with. And um, I mean, through my own basketball um, passions, I used to go to Rockford and play three times a week throughout the winter. And Miles Nielsen, who's the son of Rick Nielsen, I was playing basketball with this guy and I knew nothing about him. Didn't, I just knew his name was Miles. And we sat down and talked and he was telling me how, yeah, he, that, he thought I was from Mount Carroll, and I said, "Yep." And he goes, oh, "I I played uh, I played down at um, Miley's down there." So I said, "Oh, you're a musician?" Yeah, I'm Miles Nielsen. I said, uh, "Are you related to Rick Nielsen? You know, from Cheap Trick?" Yeah, he's my dad. You know, so then we started talking, and, and then Miles last year ended up bringing his band down, and we had him out, and they played played for a crowd, and it was amazing. But those are the social things that you you see and you find on the court also is new interactions and, and you know, the diversity of the people that you meet is great too. So, so is miles the drummer? No, oh, he's the lead singer. Okay. Well, it isn't, uh, doesn't Nielsen have another son who plays drums that I think, I think he's the drummer in cheap trick now. Yeah. Yeah. And actually miles and Rick and them, uh, it's called the miles trust. We've got them scheduled to come out this this summer also. So Rick will be out here and, um, you know, and that's all from a relationship from basketball games in downtown Rockford. That's what it's about. Open up your mouth, use your mouthpiece and talk to people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's we, what, we, we travel a fair amount. And like last year, well, not because of COVID, but prior to that, I probably played in eight different States. I just find pickup games, you know, and, um, you, you, you find some interesting characters at, at some of the courts. Yeah, I, I, I tell all of my employees, recruiters, salespeople, whoever it is, just open up your mouth and start talking to people. Tell them what you do. You know, there, there, there's, there's bit, not, not, not just for business, but just talk to people. Get to know them. And if there happens to be some business that comes out of it, awesome. <laughs> you know? Unfortunately, you know, we, we do have all these new technologies, right, that separate people um, physically, but we're still connected through social media. Right. Um, so there's, there's another whole aspect that generations are going to be a little bit different than what you and I, I mean, our, our, our childhood was go bowling and hang out and ride bicycles and, you know, listen to music or go to the park, go hang out at the pool all day long in the summertime. I mean, in the summertime, that's all we did was when we were kids is ride the bike to the pool and stay there all day long until they took a break and then stay there all night long too until they closed at eight o'clock. 
Yeah, and now with interactions being lessened um, through social media, and it's going to be weird. It's going to be different for society to see how those social, you know, how their social lives become. Because I'm wondering if they're going to be able to go out and just randomly show up at a basketball court and have a conversation with somebody. Um, yourself and, and me and like PJ and, and Ryan, we can all talk to anyone. It doesn't matter where you're at or who you're with or, you know, there's, it's just, it's simple and easy for us, I guess. Right. I can sit down to one person and start talking to them and who knows where it leads. Well, I think it comes from parenting because we learn that directly from our parents, you know, and it's like, uh, uh, it's one of the things that I'm working on right now with Johnny is to make sure that he doesn't fall into that trap, you know? So how about you with, with your kids? Do you, I know you guys are traveling all over the place and I've met um, two of your kids, I believe. Um, and they seem like they're pretty outgoing. Do you do anything special to keep them out of falling through and into those traps for the social media and um, being on the phone? I take this away. I take this away as much as possible. Um, I was really kind of frustrated with my oldest son because we traveled to Davenport for my, my daughter's basketball. Um, and he got his, lear- his learners from it driving at 15 and he ended up going towards Des Moines. And the only thing I could think was, how did I fail on this? Like it's the phones, like they're on they're, they're in here and not paying attention to their surroundings. Right. And I, I've, I feel like I failed in that, in that manner. Like, wait a second. Cause I, I, at the age of 12, I could have told you how to get to Florida, you know, um, without a map. And here he is, you know, one hour from home, he's heading towards Des Moines instead of back forth. I'm like, where are you going? And he's like, Oh, I didn't know we were supposed to turn, but I think a lot of it is because of those of, of the phones. We're also connected and we want to be, Snapchatting or whatever it may be on Facebook, but we're, we're definitely involved that way. Um, and you're missing all those things that are in those surroundings as you're going down the road. Um, so I, I try to take those away as much as possible. And it was actually kind of funny. Last night we stopped at Texas Roadhouse when we got done, and there was a bass on the on the on the wall and the tag that showed like the weight and the size of the bass was missing. And my kids are very social, but he just goes right to the waitress. He's like, Hey, how much do you think that bass weighs? And, and the lady just looked at him like, what? like <laughs> you know, maybe he's over social. Um, it might, it might be a conversation. <laughs> um, Gullible, or I don't know. No, no, I, I don't. I don't think there is such a thing as over social. I mean, it's like you can be awkwardly over social, but uh, you know, it. I'll, I'll get into an elevator, drives my wife Carissa nuts. I'll get into an elevator, and I'm just like, "You going to four, huh? What's what's going on on four? You know?" And she's just like, "God, you're an idiot." <laughs> well, it would be a real boring world, right? If it was just silence. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's, so I, I pull out a couple of uh, fun questions here that have nothing to do with anything. They're just random questions. And this one, the first one is, if money were no object to you, what kind of party would you throw? Well, I'm going to have to start with pizza because I love pizza. <laughs> Me too, bro. 
it's kind of my nemesis. I could eat pizza every day. So I'd probably just throw a huge pizza party, make the biggest pizza there is, and let's load it up and have all different sections of pizza on one. And uh, I just throw a huge pizza party. All right. I'm there, bro. Just, that, might be, that might be kind of boring to some, but, you know, if, if you like pizza like I do, um, <laughs> that uh, my eyes would be wide open for that. So one of the other things that uh, I've seen online at uh, uh, at your park there is, I don't know what the hell it's called, but I call it the super duper slip and slide. So Reed's got this thing built that uh, you got to go online. Where, where do people go online to see this thing? Is it on YouTube or do you have it on your website or where do they go to see it? Yeah, I'm sure if you go to YouTube, you'll find it. Just search up uh, MC Moto Park and... Uh, Slip and fly, slip and die. It's got all different kinds of advantages for it. Um, but we have a lot of fun with it. Uh, so how, how long is this thing? Uh, it's 80 foot. And it's, um, it's, it's intimidating. So, you know, we have all these kids that are out and, and, and growing men and women for motocross who are jumping dirt bikes, you know, 100 feet in distance. So that's, let's just... Let's use that statement. That's longer than most people's house, right? So you're flying through the air, the distance of your house, maybe 15 feet, you know, up in, up in the air. Um, and, and it's a pretty intense sport. Motocross is a very intense sport. But then they come over and they see the slip and fly. And the same reaction happens a lot of times. So these people can jump dirt bikes, you know, going 40 miles an hour and jump through the air. And they'll look down the slip and fly and they'll go, nah, I ain't doing that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, but so like with anything else, if I build it, I got to do it first, right? So if it's a jump on the racetrack, I put on my gear and I, I hit it, make sure it's right. Um, same thing with the slip and fly, you know, had it in my head. Let's build this. That would be fun. Um, you know, most places, because of liability, they look at things and they go, oh, uh, now you guys can't do that. Or, you know, we have a rope swing that um, we have in the pond also. And most places would be like, Oh no, you better not do that. I'm more like, ah, yeah, let's try it. You know? <laughs> let's figure it so, out. You know, and that's how I've always been. Right. So yeah. um, everybody usually has a really good time when they show up here. That's the whole, that's living, right? Show up, have a good time. As long as everybody leaves in one piece, um, which sometimes they don't. But um, you know, accidents do happen, and injuries are definite part of our sport. Right. Um, but everybody shows up, and slip and fly is is one of those things that usually brings a lot of smiles and laughter. And uh, and actually, I think our uh, our rope swing made it on ridiculousness at one point. So um, yeah, we have a lot of fun. I was back in Illinois a couple months ago to go back and visit uh, my grandmother, who is turning 92 pretty quick, Reva Doty, and visiting mom and some other people. And I ran into Reed down at Manny's Pizza. And uh, <laughs> you, I think you had the kids down there for a pizza party, right? Yep. One of the basketball teams? Yep. Yeah, took them all down. So Reed sits down and tells me, well, I haven't announced it yet, but uh, I've got Nelly coming. I've got uh, L King. I'm talking to Jamie Johnson. I'm like, holy shit, bro! <laughs> you know, 
um, you know, these big acts coming to Mount Carroll. And uh, what a super cool thing this is. And for anybody who hasn't experienced it yet, Reed, Reed took me and my father-in-law on uh, one of his uh, all-terrain vehicles and cruised around and saw the whole thing a few years ago. I mean, just the, the peacefulness and serenity that's out there during the day, like he was talking about during the week, is amazing. And now he's going to bring in these huge acts to come in. Um, it's got to be a dream come true for you. Um, let's talk a little bit about the amphitheater and let's talk about some of these acts you got coming in. So Nelly's coming up when? May, May 28th. So what's that, uh, Memorial Day? Yeah, Friday. Friday night, starting the weekend off right. Well, that's cool. There's no more Mayfest, right? Yeah, Mayfest pulled the plug this year. Hopefully, hopefully next year that that all gets back in place. All right, so Memorial Day, head out to see Nelly at uh, the amphitheater. It's going to be a fun show. Oh, it's gonna be crazy, man. So is does he still live in St. Louis? Yeah, he's still down in that area. Okay. I don't know if he's in one of the suburbs or or whatnot, but yeah, he's definitely in that area. That's awesome. So then who who else do you have? Who who's on the roster for this year? Um so we had three on the tree last weekend, just something that we did for some of the motocrossers that were there. Um and we've got Rushville coming up their regional act. Then we have Nelly, May 28th. Um, we've got a, a few more regional acts with um, uh, Backcountry Roads and Lava Rocks. Um, and then we have a, a country artist who's been doing super well as far as sales and things. Um, Cole Wetzel is his name. And um, he's going to be big, man. He's, he's doing a ton of ticket sales, almost the equivalent of Nelly. Wow. Um, so... That that genre, you know, the country, the newer kind of country stuff, it's going to be a fun weekend that weekend also. Um, so there's two people that you talked about, um, L. King. So I've been personally listening to L. King for quite a while. And, if, you know, and as most people may or may not know, uh, she's the daughter of Rob Schneider. But she has just one of those voices that it's – empowering man it's powerful and um and she can belt it out and so when we look at artists we we take our own personal ideas a little bit you know on who we're going to bring um once again this is more about passion than it is about okay who's going to sell the most tickets um l king was one of those people like i want her on my stage right i want to see her belting out one of her songs and just cranking it up and um so we made that happen and she's coming in august august 7th she'll be here um on the a little bit of a hopefully we don't have too big of a hiccup with it she's pregnant so maybe we'll have a you know baby well, girl boy born on stage that'll get us into rolling i was gonna magazine. say hic hiccups are the least of your problems you might give birth <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, and then uh, another one that we have coming is JJ Gray and the Mofro. Um, most people go, what? Who's this? And, well, they're a band out of Florida and I've been listening to them for a while. And, uh, your friend and my friend, John James turned me on to them. Um, bluesy, 
really, really good. I've seen him three times, seen him twice in Florida, once uh, in Bloomington at the Castle Theater. And um, man, it's an amazing show. Um, I don't know how, just get, get on YouTube and listen to his stuff. That's what I know? did. As soon as I saw their name, I'm like, I went and checked them out on YouTube and really, really good. Yeah. Um, and they're a big band, you know, they have horns, they've got, you know, pianos on board. It's, it's a full setup and it's, it's empowering. It's a great, great, great group. Um, after that, we've got Jamie Johnson coming in. A lot of people know him, you know, from his song in color. And, um, that's, that's another kind of rebellious group. That's going to be a fun group to, to see all those people, you know, he's a little more old school country and, um, but once again, I mean, if you listen to that song in color, that's a hard one not to get emotional over. Well, that that whole album, there's a, there's a couple songs on there because I, I believe he's sober as well. And uh, there's a couple songs on there that talk about uh, dealing with the demons. And yeah. uh, there's some great music on that whole album, you know. So uh, that, that'll be exciting. And it's going to be great for the area. Um, and, uh, you know, it's... It's pretty impressive and uh, very proud of you for doing it. It's, re- it's really cool. Well, once again, you know, the, the idea, like a lot of people are like, you're out of your mind because these guys aren't cheap, right? Um, it's a lot of, a lot of dollars going out the door and they're like, you're in the middle of nowhere. And I said, and that's exactly why it'll do well because people are ready to get to the middle of nowhere. Um, one of the things that we do at the amphitheater is that, and we give everybody fair warning so nobody gets hurt or anything, is we shut off every light on the entire piece of property on one of those you know, beautiful clear nights. And, and we advocate people to look up you know, and see the stars and enjoy what's above us because a lot of the people that do come to the amphitheater, um, unfortunately, are from bigger cities where they don't, they don't get to see the stars like we do. And um, so we shut off every entire light in the whole entire place uh, to the parking area and everything to get rid of any light saturation just for a few minutes and let people enjoy themselves. And um, there's been a lot of comments on social media coming back. That place is awesome, but the blackout was badass. Like, we can't wait to come back and do that again because people just – you know, where they live or whatever their, their lifestyle is, they don't get a chance to look up. And um, it's a it's a big universe that we live in. So it, it's cool for people to, to, to take that notification and see it, you know, check it out. It's a breathtaking area. Um, I remember when you told me about that, I, I, rem- I went right back to, and I think maybe you and I talked about it when I was back, that uh, I was 19 or 20 years old coming home from, paramedic class and in the north sky uh between mount carroll and savannah i saw what i didn't know what it was it turned out to be the aurora borealis which is the northern lights it scared the shit out of me i thought we were getting invaded by aliens we're all gonna die so i pulled over by center hill and uh, there's a couple other uh cars there and i said what is that they said that's the northern lights i said oh my god it's amazing Went home, got my mom, and we went out really just a little bit past where um, your park is, out by where the Randeckers live on that, whatever that road is that goes in between Elizabeth Blacktop and uh, uh, the Lauren Blacktop. 
I sat out there for two hours with my mom and just watched this amazing show of the Northern Lights, which is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And uh, I just thought about that when you talked about turning off the lights. People get a chance to go and do something that maybe they haven't had a chance to before because of the artificial light pollution that is in every city, not, not even big cities. If you're just in the middle of Mount Carroll or the middle of Savannah or the middle of these small towns around there, you're not seeing what's actually available. It's a big universe out there. And if you can find yourself to take a drive some night, I mean, if you go between here and Elizabeth, you know, up by Mossback, you're really pulling yourself away from most any light, you know, producing areas. Um, the stars are amazing. And, you know, obviously out in the mountains and if you get out, you know, out West where you can, you know, get 60, 70, 80 miles away from anything. Um, it's just gotta be unbelievable. Um, but one thing that I, that I can remember from being in the services, I had a lot of time to go below the equator, uh, be in the Southern hemisphere. And the one thing that I remember is the stars are different on the Southern hemisphere because we don't get to experience them. Right. And you notice like I can remember the differences in clusters of stars that were in the Southern hemisphere compared to the Northern hemisphere. And it was just weird to, to see the differences, I guess. And, um, after we got back here, you know, obviously it's, it's available to us every day of the week, right. Just to go outside and look at the stars. And, um, it's something I try to do daily, um, is, is get out and just look up. And, and now, unfortunately we have, uh, oodles of satellites that are, crossing paths up in the sky. So it takes away from the natural side of it, but it's also interesting at that at the same time. I just read an article funny enough that was talking about the number of satellites and the light pollution that comes from the satellites and the reflections of them are taking away how far we can see into um, the night sky. You know, and it's yeah. it's really interesting to think that, you know, these thousands and thousands of satellites that uh, all these different companies are putting up there are, you know, they're doing good for, you know, whatever they're up there for, but they're also taking away. Yep. hundred um, percent. There's not a given day that you can't go out and watch, you know, see 10 to 15 satellites an hour going by anymore when you know, 15 years ago, it was like, oh, wow, there goes one. You know? But <laughs> right. now, now it's, it's like, you know, like there, a goes, highway. there goes one for Musk. There goes one for Bezos. Right. <laughs> you know? Pretty much. They're all over. All right. Here's another fun question. Would you rather age forward or backwards from this point? Uh, man, I'm ready to go forward. Even though, um, you know, it'd be great to, to relive childhood and go backwards and be young and youthful. Um, I'm in a good spot right now. Life's good. And, you know, the future is something that is intriguing, right? Um, we know the history. We know what's behind us. So let's move forward and let's see what, see what it's going to bring. It can be scary, most definitely. Um, the, the future can be definitely scary, but it's something that you can't turn away from. You just gotta, you gotta look forward to it and, and open it up with wide arms and see what happens. Um, and, you know, all of us as 
um, Americans or whatever you want to say. The world is that wide open to us, you know. Our bad days are easy, and um, let's see what see what we can do to do well and and do uh, good things. I look forward to the future. Amen. Me too. Uh, for all of the entrepreneurs out there listening, what is the secret to your success? I don't sleep. <laughs> so you're telling me hard work. I got to work hard. I'm out. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm probably an insomniac. I don't sleep a lot. Um, I don't know. I think my own personal success is that I think a lot. Um, when I'm in a vehicle, so like my, my everyday job is running equipment some days and I can be running equipment and doing my job perfectly, but I'm really not even focused on that. My mind's, you know, I'm the ADHD guy, right? So my mind is a thousand miles away thinking about other things. Um, and I think you take that time to reflect on just for instance, the amphitheater of, okay, ticket sales and running through things through your head and trying to get a good understanding. Is this going to work or not work? You know, um, it's a big risk. I mean, there's, there's a pile of cash that's sitting on the table right now for some of these artists. And, uh, a lot of people, you know, said, dude, it's like more risky than what I would do, you know, but you got to look back at it and say, okay, well, just do the numbers. Right. Um, when it comes to that thing, and is the place cool enough? And I think when people show up there, I think the number one thing that I, the reaction I get is like, wow, this place is really cool. Um, and that's what we want. We're trying to create uniqueness. And so as for an, an entrepreneur to create success, have a well-sound idea, put passion behind it, and um, be prepared to work not get away from it sometimes, you know, no matter where you're at. Yeah, I agree. Um, blood, sweat, and tears, you know, get your ass to work. You know, just like you talked about before, you know, we, we had people that we went to school with, like John Paschke. Smart. I mean, holy shit, smart. Um, that wasn't me. I didn't even take my SATs. I was not going to go to college. I knew it. You know, I, I couldn't afford to go to college. My parents couldn't afford to send me to college. I wasn't going to go. You know, but I was working from the time I was a little kid. I was finding ways to make money. I knew I was going to work. You know, for me, bailing hay around Mount Carroll paid the most amount of money. Luckily, I was a big son of a bitch. So I could go out and do that. And, you know, back then I'm making 10 bucks an hour cash. Now, hopefully, nobody, hopefully nobody from the IRS is listening, but hopefully that many years ago, they won't come after me. $10 an hour cash. And, you know, they, they'd usually serve you up some great dinner afterwards, too. Yeah, the lunches were, lunches were worth more than probably the money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they usually killed it that day. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I knew I was going to have to work. Um, luckily, some people came into my life that... Uh, taught me a trade, but they also taught me, you're going to have to work your ass off. And that's what I tell everybody that uh, I work with too, that now I'm at a place where I'm mentoring other people and employing other people. You're going to have to work. If you don't want to work, get the hell out of here. You know, but uh, you know, I, 
you've built something awesome there. And I think those, those were the words that came out of my mouth and my father-in-law's mouth when you took us around there was, wow. You know, and it wasn't even where you're at today. So I can't wait to come back and see it uh, and hopefully come to do a show back there. Who knows? Maybe we'll put Shyster on the stage back there. Anytime, man. Anytime. Everybody would love that. So uh, what advice do you give to your kids about their futures? Be smart. Whatever the situation is, doesn't mean opening a book and being smart doesn't mean top of your class doesn't mean, um, you know, being the know-it-all. It means whatever the situation is, whatever that may entail, maybe you're, maybe you're pulled over by the police, right? Be smart about it, whatever it may be. Maybe you're, um, maybe you find yourself in financial situations, whatever. There's a smarter way to take. And I always try to get, that through to their head. And then probably the most important thing that I try to teach my kids is that time, time is the most important thing that you have. Um, I've asked my kids lots of times, you know, Hey, what's the most important thing in the world? And everybody always replies, right? Family. And it is right. Like that's, that's number two, I think. But number one is time because when your time's gone, there is no family. It's done. Right. So, so value your time and don't, and this all happened with my kids because they were all arguing over who got shotgun, you know, when we were getting in the vehicle um, <laughs> and I'm like, listen, you guys, you're wasting your time, right? Have a good conversation with each other. Don't, it doesn't have to be this, you know, argumentative stuff that in the end means nothing. Right. So don't, don't waste those time. And, um, a little advice, there's, a, there's actually a good movie, and if you get a chance, watch it. It's called In uh, Time. Um, it, it puts things into perspective on um, where time really is money, and people steal each other's time. Like, if you're going to work, you're losing time, or if you want a, a Mercedes, guess what? you got to burn up more of your time to get that Mercedes, so... It's a really, it's an interesting concept. I would recommend it to anybody to watch it. Um, it's called In Time? Yeah. Yep. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah. And I think when you watch it, you're going to be like, it just puts a different perspective on anything. Because when you want something, let's just say you want something glamorous, you want this huge diamond ring, whatever it may be, well, you're going to lose so much of your time just to get that. Um, and so it, it, it puts a different perspective on money and time and, and life and and what maybe you should value and not value. Um, but those are the things that I try to teach my kids. Um, be smart, whatever the situation may be. You could just be pedaling a bicycle down a hill and don't stick your, front, you know, your foot in front tire. And be smart about it, right? And um, value your time because, you know, as you and I are both getting older, it's um, we're halfway at the halfway point, right? So well, That was one of my questions. So I'll be 49 in a week, less than a week. Am I older than you or younger than you? You're older and wiser than me. Wow. So awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask everybody at the end of the True Ambition podcast. So uh, True Ambition, as you know, is a friend of mine. I've been sober coming up on seven years here next week. And uh, awesome. thank, thank God for it because I was going down a bad path. But uh, one of the one of the 
passages that I took out of one of the uh, books that uh, was in my 12-step program was that true ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. I've always been ambitious. You've always been ambitious. When I read that, it kind of changed my perspective. And uh, instead of going to get the money, to get the girl, to get the house, to get the car, I had to train, change my ambition to my true ambition, which should be to help people, to be a better person. So you've been a lot of places. You've done a lot of things. What is your true ambition moving forward in both your personal life and your professional life? I'm trying extremely hard when people come to our place that they leave and they go, holy shit, that was amazing. I want them to leave with an experience, something that's a locked in memory in their head that in five years and 12 years and 35 years, they're going to tell their, their kid, whether they, you know, the rhythm section is there or not there, that remember when we went and saw Nelly or we went and saw Jamie Johnson um, at this place in the middle of nowhere where they shut all the lights off. Those are the experiences that we want everybody to leave with. We want them to fulfill something within their own internal, you know, being saying that was amazing. And, I, and we want them to come back obviously and try to, you know, do that again. And maybe it's, something new maybe it's a different genre of music that they come to um but we that's our that's what we're really trying to do is to make those experiences for people awesome well i think uh if you do that there's no way you can fail bro i think uh you got something special out there and you've built something pretty cool so uh just uh i want to wish you the best of luck and i can't wait to come back there for a show we can't wait to have you back and actually on a show. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll talk to the boys and we'll put something together. That'd be amazing. And I, that the sound system you got there, I, I've seen the pictures of it. I saw some of it sitting around in there. I mean, it looks like it's state of the art and just the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. You know, when we started, those were so my, I had two criteria and those two criteria were excellent viewing. Um, that's why we tiered everything the way we did and excellent sound. Um, and that's the two criteria that we started with when I decided to pull the trigger and start building. That was my criteria. And that's still the, the main focus today. Um, Gene Fisher out of, uh, out of Rockford is who I buy all my audio equipment from. And, and I actually used him because when I met with him, he did, he wasn't a salesman to me. He basically, and I think I might've told you this. He's, he's like, no, you don't want you don't want that fucking shit. This is what you want to fucking do. We started swearing and I'm like, this guy's real. That's who I want in my, you know, alongside of me, helping me is somebody who's real not somebody who's just trying to sell me something. Right. Um, and uh, Gene's been a, been a great, great help on everything. So we're, we're pushing the audio um, and we're adding more all the time. And um, we want to fulfill that thing, those experiences. And it's through audio, visual, all of it. You know, that's all, all part of it. So it's going to be great. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate you doing this, Reed. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, love you like a brother. And I uh, want you to just keep on doing great things, man. You're making us all proud. All right, John. Appreciate it. Peace out, everybody. And uh, hopefully we'll see you guys at the rhythm section.
We'll see you next time on the True Ambition Podcast. The True Ambition Podcast is brought to you by IT Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, please visit www.trueambition.org. Now, go find your true ambition. And I-